The fifth monkey is a team made of volunteers from around the world. We do not receive any outside funding. Please consider becoming a paid subscriber to keep the series going. Thank you. Journey to the West, an audio drama series. Production notes. Episode eight. Hello, dear listeners. This is Lin, the voice of the fifth monkey. First, a hi to our patrons and pay subscribers. I hope you enjoy this early access. We've got lots to cover in chapter eight, so I highly recommend that you go listen to the story before coming back to this episode. And as usual, we'll cover things in the chronological order. First of all, I wonder if any one of you noticed, but China is referred to in the story as "land of the East." When you get names that carry relative rather than absolute information like this one, it is very important to consider from whose perspective you are speaking, because depends on where you are, "land of the East" may mean different things. But fortunately, in Journey to the West. This name is used exclusively to refer to Tang Dynasty China, because for Silk Road merchants, Central Asian states, and Sindhu monks, China is quite literally land of the East. As our protagonists go on this journey westward, to everyone they meet on their way, China would indeed be in the East. But then you would ask, why is land of the East located in? Jambudipa continent of the south. One thing our listeners should keep in mind as we venture into the human world in the next few chapters is that, as folk literature, Journey to the West should not be taken too seriously as a source to learn about history, religion, geography, and so forth. This is a story created by the grassroots, by people with limited resources and knowledge about the world. So it's very sloppy on a lot of details, which would throw you into a whirlpool of confusion if you attempt to understand it from a canon perspective. Don't use the story this way. Instead, what it should be used for is learning how history, religion, geography, and other elements are perceived by the Ming Dynasty Chinese public. This is the perfect story to learn how they saw the world, not how the world was. Back to the topic of Jambudipa. To put it simply, the four continents that make up the Journey to the West story should not be understood as a reference to the real world map, but instead a Buddhism-influenced point of view. Imagine a world where there are these four continents that are separated by oceans but not impossible to cross. Wu Kong was born in Pulau Videha, continent of the East. When he sought immortality, he first reached Jambudipa and had a taste of the human world. And remember how disappointed he was. That was our first hint that Jambudipa was a relatively unenlightened place. Then he moved on to Aplagadania, continent of the West, and eventually found Patriarch Puti. In Buddhist cosmology, Jambudipa is where ordinary human beings like you and I live. So we could see Jambudipa as the continent where Ming Dynasty Chinese people saw themselves in. Other continents are inhabited by different types of people, and they may have different lifestyles. But Jambudipa is our world, and the people on this continent live in ways that we understand and are familiar with. And within Jambudipa, there is the nation of China, 
also known as Land of the East. Because for a long part of our history, most foreigners in China did come from the West, and that's how they called us. So the seemingly contradictory ways of naming places is the result of mixing real-world names with a fictional setting. Moving on, in Chapter Eight, we finally met our team of disciples for the upcoming journey. First, we have Shao Wujing. So. Remember how he said he ate a ton of people who tried to cross the river, but the skulls of nine scripture seekers just won't sink, so he kept them as toys. In upcoming chapters, we will learn that the monk who eventually was selected to take on the journey to the west has been reincarnated many times before. So some readers perceive it as Shao Wujing killing and eating previous incarnations of his future teacher. I guess we can't. Disprove what they're suggesting, but there is no evidence in Journey to the West that connects these nine dead scripture seekers to the monks' previous lives. There's just nowhere in the novel that said the monks' previous lives were also dedicated to scripture seeking. So while this is a valid way to interpret the story, it is not official, so to speak. It is very much a headcanon. But not supported by anything you can find within the original text. I guess we'll just leave it at that. Next up, we have Zhu Wuneng, the pig. One thing we can learn from his backstory is that, despite disastrous HR decisions like assigning a monkey to the peach garden, the Heavenly Palace actually has some solid anti-sexual harassment policies. Corporal punishment and banished to the mortal world, where nobody even follows up when you mistakenly got reborn as a pig. No wonder this is a fantasy story. So, in the original text, Zhu Wuneng confessed that he was punished for flirting with Chang'e. If you recall, as I explained in an earlier episode of Production Notes, in folklore, Chang'e was a mortal woman who flew onto the moon and became the lunar goddess. And in most, if not all, adaptations of Journey to the West, the lady harassed by Marshall Heavily Reads was indeed the goddess Chang'e. But the goddess Chang'e is actually not in the novel of Journey to the West at all. To understand how this functions in different contexts, we need to first know that a lot of figures who originated from very, very early days of the Chinese civilization. Are not known by their given names. That is, the names given by their families. Instead, they are more often known by their age, gender, occupation, place of origin, ranking within their siblings, or even a postmortem title. So these names start out as very generic descriptions of this person, but once they become historically important, they end up owning this name. Future figures sharing similar features would no longer be able to use this name and have to be known as something else. Basically, the earlier you trace, the more people you would find who have a name like this. At the same time, their actual given names are often lost in history. So that is a thing that happens to figures from very, very early days of Chinese history and mythology. Coming back to Chang'e. The goddess has always been known as Chang'e or some variant of this name, so it is understandable to think that Chang'e must only refer to this one single goddess. But the thing is, Chang'e is also quite obviously not a given name. 
and has retained that generic implication of beautiful divine maiden. Journey to the West, in fact, reversed the generic to personal transfer of names and expanded the meaning of the name Chang'e to no longer refer to one particular goddess, but a group of immortal maidens. You won't be able to fully appreciate this context until Chapter Ninety Five, which is, I don't know, maybe eight years away from now. By then, you will find out that in the Journey to the West story, Chang'e refers to a group of maidens who work under Taiyin Xingjun, officer of the Great Star of Yin. The Star of Yin, of course, is the moon. And there is no mention of the goddess of Chang'e, who supposedly would be the deity in charge of the moon. So Zhu Wuneng did not harass the goddess named Chang'e, but one of the maidens on the moon. That's why we call her a lunar maiden, even though the original text did not mention that she was from the moon. This instead is a reference to what we will eventually find out in chapter ninety-five. So I guess, stay tuned. Moving on, we come to our little dragon prince. Journey to the West never gave us the full name of the dragon prince, who later became the monk's horse. So whatever names you're hearing from other works or adaptations, those are not from the Journey to the West novel. Throughout the story, he is either called the Prince of the Dragon King or Young White Dragon. And here we would like to point out the distinction between the Dragon Prince and the other three disciples. In Chapter Eight, notice how Bodhisattva did not read him any commandments or do anything that would indicate he was converted to Buddhism. That's because he wasn't converted to Buddhism. He did not become a monk. Dragons, you see, are a rather curious species of creatures in Journey to the West. On one hand, they seem to be born with incredible powers that allow them to manipulate water. On the other hand, albeit a longer lifespan, they appear to be mortal beings with very limited choices in life. That is to say, the cultivating path towards immortality that is open to humans, monkeys, and other animals does not seem to be open to dragons. The dragons in Journey to the West are very much stuck to doing dragon stuff. And nothing else, and that includes joining any religion. In other words, when Bodhisattva asked the young white dragon to be the monk's horse, that was pretty much his only mission and sole responsibility on the journey. There was no expectation for him to read any Buddhist scriptures or follow the monk's teachings or even protect him in moments of crisis. Those were the disciple's job, not the dragon horse's. Later on in the story, you will see how joining religion is sometimes referred to as leaving the family, where you move away from the roles of children, parent, or spouse, and become a disciple of Buddha or whatever deity that heads your religion. In that context, the young dragon actually never left his family. He has always kept his prince title and is expected to retain this secular role. When he completes the journey, naturally he would be awarded new titles by Buddha, but at no point would he be a monk. That's just not a career choice for dragons at all. When Bodhisattva travels to Land of the East, she's moving from west to east. So the order she meets all these disciples would be reversed for the monk 
who would travel from east to west. So the monk will meet Wu Kong first, then the White Dragon, and then the other two. Supposedly, the order by which they become their teacher's disciple would determine their ranking. So if Wu Kong joined first, he would always be Da Shi Xiong, the eldest brother of the same teacher. But you will notice throughout the novel that the young white dragon, despite joining the monk right after Wu Kong, was nobody's elder brother. Instead, he would call all the disciples elder brothers. Why? Because he was never an official disciple. He was just transportation, a laborer, so to speak, someone who worked under this team of teacher and disciples. The ranking doesn't. Apply to him, and he will always be considered the most junior member. Next up, in case you don't already know, the city of Chang'an of Tang Dynasty is the modern-day city of Xi'an, where you can still find yourself surrounded by the glory of that golden age of Chinese history. Mark on your to-go list or something. And believe it or not, this episode is not over yet. Because we have not yet covered our most important issue: why the next chapter isn't Chapter Nine. So, because you listened to this episode of Production Notes, you will be relieved from the shock of finding out that the next chapter is called the Addendum and not Chapter Nine. Let me explain why. First of all, Journey to the West, being folk literature and all. Has always had multiple editions of itself circulating in the market. The editions differ in many smaller ways, but one of the biggest differences is whether they included the origin story of the monk and his family. If you look at the Yu and Jenner versions, they're both based on an 100-chapter edition with the entire origin story assigned to Chapter Nine. At the same time, the most well-regarded edition of Journey to the West. Known as the Shi De Tang edition, published by the Shi De Tang Printing House in Mid Ming Dynasty, is an 100-chapter edition without the origin story. Okay, you may ask: if both editions have 100 chapters, but one edition is missing an entire chapter worth of story, what are they filling that gap with? The answer is: the rest of the story is actually very much the same. But just got divided up differently into different chapters. So basically, in the Yu and Jenner versions, chapter nine is the monk's origin story, and then chapters ten to twelve would explain why and how he was chosen to go on this journey. Whereas in the Shi De Tang edition, there is no origin story, and chapters nine to twelve are all dedicated to explain why and how he was chosen to go on this journey. The content in the two editions is almost identical. It's just that in one edition it's split into three chapters, and in another edition it's split into four chapters. That's why if you compare the two, the titles for these chapters in question would be different because each of them begin and end at different points of the plotline. Up until the end of chapter eight, the different editions aren't that much different, and then you get this major difference between chapters nine to twelve. And by the end of chapter twelve, everything realigns and the story moves on pretty much the same across these editions. So now the choice becomes: which version are we going with? 
In 1979, the People's Literature Publishing House made the rather innovative decision to take the entire chapter of the monk's origin story and insert it into the Shidetang edition as the addendum, right between chapters eight and nine, and that practice has become the norm thereafter. That way, readers are able to fully understand the monk's family history. And also enjoy an edition that is most regarded by academia. And this 100 plus one edition of Journey to the West is the basis of our audio drama. The content of the addendum would be identical to Chapter Nine of the Yuan Jenner translations. In short, you're not going to miss out on anything. You will get every piece of what Journey to the West has to offer. And the next chapter will be called the addendum. Okay, that's production notes for you here. This episode is sponsored by our patrons and dear subscribers on podcast. Thank you all so very much, and please comment, comment, comment. Before you leave, don't forget to follow us and subscribe. This is the Fifth Monkey, and thank you for listening. Journey to the West, an audio drama series, is a production by the Fifth Monkey. If you enjoy our work. Become our pay subscriber or patron to gain access to the latest release and other exclusive content. Head to www.thefifthmonkey.com for links to all the platforms we're on and support us on social media. Shares, comments, emails—all are welcome. This is Lin. See you in the next episode.